Welcome to this week's edition of Zoom for Thought, a series of podcasts charting the way in which lockdown and social distancing is impacting both teaching and learning and music and performance, exploring creative solutions to the problems we face and finding common ground. This week, my guest is Head of Performance at St Edmunds School in Canterbury, Ian Swatman, clarinetist, saxophonist, jazz enthusiast, lifelong supporter of Hull City, and also director of the concert and big bands at the University of Kent. How does my hair look? <laughs> it's, it's a podcast, so you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's the thought of it. I began by asking Ian what it had been like back in March when lockdown happened quite swiftly to suddenly find himself making the change from face-to-face teaching to online delivery. Well, I think it was, it was one of those things, you, you know, you called into meetings and you, you follow the news and you think to yourself, yeah, but surely it's not going to, this isn't actually really going to happen. Mm. And I think it was only when I was sat in the final meeting at school that I thought, oh yeah, this is really happening now. And it's all going to happen next week because, you know, St. Edmunds, we had a week of term left. So uh-huh. we did that last week of teaching online. And the obvious question that people, you know, said to me is, how on earth are you going to teach music online? Yeah. And of course, you know, music is one of the great means of communication, whether you're the performer yourself and expressing yourself to an audience or whether you are the person in the audience being communicated to. Yeah. So when you're then suddenly faced with staring at a computer screen, how do you do it? Mm. And to be honest, with the many, you know, I just started looking at what was out there. So I've tried to, as many as my lessons, actually um, start many of the lessons we've done online with actually asking pupils if they want to perform. And that's actually been quite a good vehicle because many of them actually have had the confidence to come on and perform mm-hmm. by a means of a, a team's lesson when they may not have actually done it in the classroom. So that's quite a positive thing. And it also, um, it, 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 just, it just gives those, those performers still that vehicle to do it. And things like the BBC Bite Size has got a massive re- resource on there. So, you know, you can encourage more critical listening with guided, you know, writing out, um, setting worksheets and mm-hmm. um, guiding them through YouTube videos of performances using um, various, I use some Villa Lobos as a thing to um, the train journey, you know, to, to actually um, encourage them to go and write some poems based on journeys that mm-hmm. they'd been on, either real or maybe. So in fact, there was, there was quite good cross-curricular links in that. So, no, it hasn't been easy, but it's where there's a will, there's a way, really. And I think it's been quite a powerful way of thinking outside the box as a teacher, because you have to find a way to do it. We've covered, to be honest, we've probably covered as much online as if we were in the classroom concert wise obviously that's a different kettle of fish but people have delved into technology far beyond what they probably would have done comfortably prior even i bought a microphone there's been an awful lot of of, of continuous professional development at an enormous rate hasn't there well massively all all adapted to doing things in different ways yeah and i think also it's made 
you know, we have, you know, um, teaching lesson plans moving forward, short-term plans, medium-term, etc. And from St. Edmund's music department, for me as a performer, it also has led us to look at how we can do this. If we do get into a lockdown, what can we do moving forward? And actually there's some real creativity comes out of it. So, and it also, what I'd like to think, you know, we, I think it's built up such, I'd like to think it's built up more of an appreciation of what actually, you know, artistic expression is and what's out there. Now yeah. we're missing it. You know, the joy of whether it is sat in your pub garden listening to a band or it's sat in the Royal Albert Hall. Um, so I think there's many positives to come out of it, really. Because um, I think yeah. it is the, the it's, it's that sort of the live music experience that, that, that we're missing as well, isn't it? That sense of everyone coming together and the, the shared experience of being all together listening to a performance. Um, yeah, and that's, that's something that, that you just can't recreate. No, that's, digitally no that's right i think you know with some very high profile performers you know nicola benedetti's been doing quite a bit there's been the the the, the wigmore hall recitals live yep. um yes that that joy of sat in the room and getting what you don't get from a recording isn't there on the other hand i know i've been able to put some of that quality performance out to an audience that maybe wouldn't actually have listened to it so there is you know once again it's trying to take a positive there is yeah. nothing finer than sat in a theater or a concert hall watching live music um what it's it's, it's a case of being thinking well you know what's second best and it is second best but it has allowed us to um maybe it's allowed all this fantastic music to be more accessible and that's right i think in some ways it's improved the the digital reach of of, of musicians you know you're suddenly able to yeah. engage with an online audience and more yeah. people are watching and can and, and consuming things particularly during lockdown and being housebound and so on everyone's yeah. turned yeah. online for their cultural consumption haven't they absolutely yeah absolutely and it's been good from you know some of the advanced you know pupils I work with. It has um, you know you, you talk because because it's about inspiring pupils. We've all been inspired in the past, which I guess is why we sat where we sat. And the beauty of it is we all have different inspirations. Mm. All found it, and I you know when I mentioned about doing this, uh, or you mentioned to me about doing this. I thought about it briefly, and my my in, initial inspiration was eclectic isn't the word really, but you know when I was about thirteen, I was taken to Hull University actually by my auntie very reluctantly <laughs> to see Jack Brimer, the celebrated clarinetist play, and I really didn't want to go because my biggest concern was I wasn't going to get home for for match of the day. <laughs> and and that's actually genuine so you know you, you will go with auntie but mother was my mum was saying uh, you know you will go and that's all there is to it right and apparently the next day i practiced more in a day than i'd ever practiced it because i heard him play the mozart concerto mm -hmm. and it obviously it on honestly was a light bulb moment and i that was that was when it started for me and you know, it was it was one of those things. And while I was in the sixth form, in the same year, at the other end of the musical spectrum, in the June 
1980, I saw Bob Marley live. Right. Which turned out to be his last London um, appearance. Uh-huh. And then in the September, what really lit the tit, the, the, what's the word? Touch, lit the, yeah, the touch uh, paper. Yeah, I should have said that. Can you do that in take two? Um, <laughs> <laughs> was, I was taken to see, I went to see Stevie Wonder at Wembley. And I'd never felt musical e- electricity like it. Right. Um, and that's what, that's what fired me up. And it still stays with me. What I've tried to say to pupils in this last sort of period of time is, you know, although you can't sit in that same space, you can actually look at a whole raft of excellence that's out there. I've been making my clarinetists, you know, listen to Martin Frost and the saxophonist, Jess yep. Gillen and all the rest of it. It's mm-hmm. tremendous stuff out there. And I think that's one of the dangers of, of, of the COVID period, isn't it? Is that people who might go to an event, to a, a, a piece of theatre or a live concert and have exactly, as you've said, that inspirational moment of thinking, right, that this is what I want to do. Those doors won't be opened for them at a crucial point in their lives where they might then choose that as a vocation. And so we're, we're losing the opportunity to inspire tomorrow's performers. Yeah, totally. And that's the big worry in the whole thing, isn't it? And, of, you know, with the present campaign to get live music back out there. Mm. Um, and it's, it's so crucial we do that, you know, I, I, you know, that music and the arts keep their profile very much in the curriculum as well. That's right, with, with music coming out of early key stages and, and the, there's talk now of the government uh, suggesting that schools suspend the art subjects, aren't, isn't there, in, in the autumn so that they can catch up on opportunities yeah. they might have missed in in maths and english uh, i'm not sure i'm not sure again if that risks not f- inspiring young minds with something that might then take them forward i uh, that's that that whole suggestion and i don't know how serious that is i don't know t- to me is almost beyond comprehension because there are many people at many schools many young people at many schools that find their expression, whether it be through, you know, the drama or the art or through the music, mm. that keeps them alive, if you like, through maybe core subjects that they're not so gifted at. I know that they're important. Obviously, I realise that. But imagine the mental well-being of those pupils if suddenly what actually floats their boat isn't yeah. available. That's right. Those kind of creative and, oh. and, and cultural opportunities that, that, that they really yeah. engage with and, and, and really inspire them. Because it, you need that curriculum balance, don't you? You need the oh, key yeah. skills and the underpinning of those crucial abilities at the same yeah. time as you, you have the more creative ones that, that open doors to them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, I, I don't know, as I say, I, I find... I just find it unthinkable that that could happen. Um, I don't know, it'd be a time will tell thing really, but I just, um, yeah, it's one of those things I, I don't like thinking about. I just can't see how that could be allowed to happen because you, you know, it's, it, for me, it's just such ignorance really. And I, I was talking to a, a colleague in a meeting I had this morning um, and, and she said, you know, 
it's got to the point now where I'm, I'm tired of defending the arts and, and, and tired of having to get up on a, on a pedestal and, and, and fight for, for something that who, whose value and whose worth is, is actually something that people should already understand. You know, there's a lot of, on top of all the sort of Zoom teams meeting and all the fatigue that, that comes on from the way that we're that we're having to engage now and, and, and all the pressures that we're under to have to then be expected to stand up and, and defend the value of something is, is an additional level of stress that, that, that people in the creative sector don't really need at this point. I think, you know, a lot of this period has, has uh, you know, it's been tough for every, it literally has been tough for everybody mm. across society. Um, that's you know without doubt at times as somebody involved with with the arts it has felt a little bit as if you're a, you're a bit of a punch ball really because there's a there's a, a lull and it's like okay you know this is all fine and it's ticking along and then you will look and hear about another theater that's struggling and is going to go down or yeah. another festival that may not happen again and then, if you like, even two days ago, how the Royal Albert Hall is saying that if it doesn't get some support, it will be shut within a year. Yeah. How is that even allowed to happen? Mm. It doesn't Why? feel that. It doesn't feel that it's a necessarily a a priority in terms of, yeah. of, of government funding and government support to 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 make sure that the arts come through so that there is something. Uh, that, that you know can can be economically and culturally and socially valuable when everyone That's comes right. out of this yeah exactly and it needs to be there you know the 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 arts hence you know people like the national theater doing this stuff online through this lockdown period mm. has been a great source of comfort to many people that's right and almost we all need to then go and shout louder and prouder when actually this period is open that those things have sustained and are a celebration of what we're about. Yes, because there's a very real danger that if, if um, as you say, the, the, you know, the Royal Albert Hall, the Nuffield Theatre, you know, a, a Royal Theatre Plymouth, if all these venues are starting to, to, to close and are being forced to close their doors, then there's the potential that we come through this and we've got all the unfurloughed freelancers actors musicians performers who have suddenly got no venues in which to perform because all the venues have gone bankrupt yeah uh, absolutely absolutely so you know it's it, well it's going to be a case of seeing what happens isn't it but it is you know i used to perform a lot in scandinavia with a with a band we used to always go around uh, norway particularly in uh, jazz festivals stavanger oslo place called Silda Jazz in, in, in Haugesund in Norway. And, you know, this was going back now 20 years, I suppose. And what always used to strike me, we would arrive at the, say, Oslo airport, and we were by, by very much far from a top-of-the-bill band. You know, we were playing the average venues there. And we would arrive at the airport, and there would be honestly a couple of people carriers to pick us up, and it would be a fantastic hotel and the festivals would be amazing experience and it was it was highlighted even then that this amazing support and admiration for what we did was so evident and at the same time we were doing many of the festivals over here 
where it was, um, you know, well, we'll give you a tank of petrol and a couple of pints. So really it was, quite different art support. Yeah, it was just, and, and I think it was, you were sort of revered over there. You know, if you was a musician and you were, you were that, that artistic thing. And I think it's always something we've, we've just struggled with here. You know, I remember somebody saying to me once, you know, well, that is all very good when you, you've gone and done your postgrad, but what are you going to do when you have to get a job? That's right. Yeah, you know, or someone says to you, oh, I'm, oh, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm a performer. Okay, and, and, and what's your day job? Yeah, I know, yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's, it's um, but I, I, you would like to think with the campaign that is starting for, you know, the, the, the arts generally um, on, on all, all vehicles of social media now, you would just hope that that gathers and sustains its momentum. Mm. And, you, you know, the government will have to step in. That's the thing. You want a you want a critical mass of people making a noise about supporting yes. the arts and supporting venues and keeping live theatre and live music and, and yeah. going and galleries open. But you want that critical mass to turn into into uh, a, an action that creates a response from the government sufficient yeah. to to support it and sustain it at this time. Oliver Dowden was at the Palladium yesterday, wasn't he? I think with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, and he was uh, they were looking at you know measures to what they can do in the palladium now obviously that's brilliant okay let's get more of it mm. but it's when you're looking at theatres like Plymouth and such like it's some of these smaller theatres you know I mean I don't know the financial ins and outs but I'd look at our own Marlowe Theatre mm -hmm. and think well the Marlowe Theatre you know I've got very friends who actually do it but for what, two, three months is involved with massive revenue with the pantomime. Mm -hmm. And which you, you struggle to get a ticket for the panto. It's one of the, the country's leading shows every year. And if suddenly that revenue isn't there, which that whole season is looking at the moment like it could well not be, mm. what, uh, uh, surely they can't just stand aside. And it's it's also the uncertainty. I think everyone is complaining that that the, the Oliver Dowden roadmap doesn't have any useful information in it. It doesn't have a time frame. It doesn't no. have any any financial uh, aspect to it. And I think now's now's the time when when theatres and so on are planning their pantomime and their Christmas productions, and you know venues are, are planning their Christmas season. It's it's really yeah. hard at the moment to know exactly how much of that to put in place when we don't know for sure what what the situation will be come November no. December. No, exactly. Yeah, and 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 of course safety is in paramount. We all know that. Mm. But there just seems to me to be too many contradictions as to what is actually opening up. Especially um, when, especially when you look at the the situation in Europe and other countries that have already managed to get some live music, some socially distanced ensembles and concerts yeah. off the ground, and it it seems strange that there isn't a similar urgency about the government's response here to to you know and um, uh, to channel the energy of of the industry that's let's face it it's full of professionals who are clamoring to get back to work you know with yes, well, professional actors and, and engineers and technicians and musicians everyone's clamoring about getting back to work and and there doesn't yeah. seem to be the government going let's help you do that 
No, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. And, and it, you can't help then, but come to the conclusion it's because it's just not seen as that important. Yeah. And they haven't, they haven't done anything to prove otherwise yet. No, that's right. It's almost as right. though they've gone, well, you, you can't quantify the cultural value of the arts in economic terms, so therefore they're not important and we won't worry yeah. about it. Instead, we'll look to get pubs open and so on and, and businesses up and running yeah. and sports back first um, yeah. as a means of... It's almost as though they, they, they want to keep people entertained whilst, uh, whilst keeping them at home in order to yeah. stop them really interrogating the status quo and thinking, well, well, hang on a minute, why, why haven't all these things been supported and why aren't these things up and running before you open yeah. it? Yeah, completely. I think it's... And also it's the... You know, it's been interesting with the football thing that's been happening. And, um, you know, I know there was lots of measures to get all that, that side of the thing, um, you, know, uh, you know, up and running. And I think some of the studios, I think Abbey Road actually did its first session, didn't it, a few weeks ago with a socially distanced recording session. But it's just priorities. Mm. And it's it's the interesting thing is you know it's affected it's not just the people who play in the bands that rely on their gigs up and down the country it's affected the whole industry yeah and the irony in it is that i mean i don't know the figures but it's the income that actually the arts and the festivals brings into the country every year anyway it's humongous billions yeah literally billions so what you know what is going on why why is this not seen as more of a priority and and it's interesting that that, that you say that as someone who is a, a through and through died in the wood wool hull city supporter yeah well that's why i know you can't see me it's a podcast that's why i'm very gray yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i i am but it's it's yeah that's very true but it's um quite genuinely if somebody had said to me with a football, for example, you know, when it was the ums and ahs, are we going to restart, are we not? And it isn't just because the whole city are having a bad season. And <laughs> I know a couple of people actually who are, you know, I do know a couple of people who are actually, that is, they're in the game. And I think it should have just stopped. Right. I don't think they should have restarted. I think it should have been a situation, you know, like music. Music needs its audience. Yeah, I say, I say to my pupils, you know, we, we all try and get our pupils to practice more. Of course we do, because, you know, practice makes perfect and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But from my own point of view, I know that when I'm sat in a practice room, it's a, it can be a slog. It's, it's a real dedication thing. Why do we do that? Well, we do that because it allows us to get out there and give something back that we are expressing ourselves. And we share that with the electricity, hopefully, that comes from an audience, the buzz mm -hmm. you get afterwards. We wake up on a concert day thinking, why am I doing this? Why? I don't have to do it. Why am I doing it? Yeah. And it's like, you know, the stress of, oh, my goodness, is it going to be ready? And bizarrely, you know, say 9.30, your concert's finished and you're sort of getting changed out of your tux. Well, then when can I do it again? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it's the buzz we get. And then you're on to the next thing. And football, for me, is about the, the, uh, the crowd. It's about the supporters. The only people in football that are actually loyal are the supporters. Mm -hmm. And football, for me now, with no supporters in the ground, is 
um, because the, the main driving force in football now is, is money. Mm-hmm. You know, the moment Sky came into it, yes, it's made it more global, but it's about finance. But the magic of it is stood in the crowd, hearing the crowd and being part of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And that's not there. So I would have very, I think with a football thing, they should have just said, right, let's just treat it as if there had been a world war and it would have always been the 2019-20 season didn't finish because there was a pandemic. Yeah. And let's put our efforts into other things. Yeah. But people would say, oh, yeah, that's just because your team's not doing very well. But it <laughs> genuinely is not that. No, that's right. As you say, live music and, and football and, and theatre, any kind of performing re- relies on the rapport between those on yeah. stage or on the pitch doing what they are professionally able to do and those yeah. who are enjoying it from a, a spectatorial or from an audience point of view. Absolutely. And it's, it's, the, it's the, the intangible relationship between the two at the, the moment of live performance that, that, that yeah. everyone's missing. And it's that thing we all know, you know, I, I can look back on my life, we all know what it feels like to walk into that concert hall with that sense of expectation, mm-hmm. you know, that what you're going to witness, whether it be, you know, a relatively small recital somewhere or whether it be a concert in the O2. It's yeah. that feeling of, and it's that, you know, and it's also that feeling you get as being part of that experience. And then the lights go down, and then this magic happens at whatever level. And that's what we're all desperately missing, but want to ensure that it's still there to, to, to experience in the future. My thanks to Ian Swatman, Head of Performance at St Edmunds School in Canterbury and Director of the Concert Band and Big Band at the University of Kent, talking to me from his home just outside Canterbury. Until we Zoom again.